So friends, how did your readings go this past week? Uh, were you able to see the way Jesus' mission was just relentlessly moving forward through the book of Acts? And did you hear the, uh, the encouraging words that Paul had for the Christians over in Thessalonica? And one other question I just got to ask. When you guys were reading, did the lights go out for any of you? <laughs> Wasn't sure if maybe I was just doing it wrong, so I figured I'd check. <laughs> All right, all jokes aside, though, all jokes aside, today we're going to keep working our way through the New Testament. Remember, we're following the Immerse Bible reading plan, and so today our readings, or this coming week, our readings, they come from First and Second Corinthians, uh, Galatians, and then the first part of Romans. And kind of like with last week, we don't have time to, to dive in and to cover everything that these letters Paul wrote contain, and so let me give you just a very brief background on these different letters this week. So, so first and second Corinthians, they cover a lot of questions and problems that the church in Corinth were facing, but underneath and behind so many of those questions and problems was this underlying theme of unity. The Corinthians needed to be united. Galatians is somewhat similar because the church there also needs unity, but in Galatians, it's a little more focused because the main thrust in Galatians is this division that's happening where people are disagreeing whether the Christians need to follow the, the Old Testament Jewish laws and rituals now that they belong to Jesus. And then Romans, that gives us uh, more of an overview of the faith. It's, it's the clearest um, and, and the most um, extensive uh, explanation of what we believe that we have the content of our faith. And today, it's a little different than last week because today we're really narrowing our focus in. And so we're looking mainly at 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and we're focusing in on one specific passage. Okay, God's word to us this morning, it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. This can be found on page 140 if you have your Immersed Bible with you. And I originally chose this passage because as you've heard, today is World Communion Sunday. It's a day when Christians all over the world, we get to celebrate together the meal that Jesus gave us. Now we're going to dig in in a second, but I want to warn you because some of the things Paul says are pretty harsh and there's a lot of tough parts in it. You'll see that as we're reading, but I encourage you, just stay with it. Just stay with it, but be kind, because behind all these different harsh words, Paul's pointing us to a beautiful reality, a beautiful reality. It's a reality that we really notice when we take time to discern the body. That is, when we take time to intentionally think about and look for and understand what it means for us to be part of Jesus' body. So follow along as we read God's word this morning. Page 140, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. Friends, hear now the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, it is not really, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. 
For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so that you won't bring judgment upon yourself when you meet together. I'll give you more instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I got to say, this passage, I remember growing up and being terrified of it, absolutely terrified of it. I, I really was. And I'm, I'm guessing that at least some of you can relate to this, maybe a lot of you. And, and why was I afraid? Well, I was afraid because Paul, he talks about the Lord's Supper. He talks about communion, but he gives a strong warning, doesn't he? Because he says that, that when we come to the table, we better not do so unworthily. That's scary, Right? I mean, it's scary now, and it was certainly scary to me when I was a teenager and I first started taking communion, because it seemed to me that the Bible was saying that if I took communion, I better have my head on straight and I better have my act together, because otherwise, God was going to be mad at me. He'd be angry, and I was going to have to face his judgment. And so I was afraid of this passage. I was really nervous when I'd take communion. Oftentimes I didn't want to because I always worried if I was good enough to receive it. I always wondered if Jesus really had a place even for me at his table. I brought something with to, to, to try and illustrate how I felt. I think some of you will relate to it. It's big, and so it was hard to find a spot to hide it. And I promise I will be careful. <laughs> it's a ladder, right? Side note, Janelle and the girls and I, we scoured this church and an eight foot was the shortest one we could find here. So I don't know who I need to talk to about that, but for my sermons, can we please have some shorter ladders? But... <laughs> But I brought this ladder because, you know, when it came to communion, this is kind of what it felt like. It felt like I had to measure myself against some sort of standard to see if I was good enough to take communion, right? And so I, if, just imagine with me that this ladder represents how far along you are in your Christian faith, your Christian walk. And so again, to my teenage mind, I figured 
that all the way at the top of the ladder, I think our liabilities paid up, all the way at the top of the ladder, you'd have people like Jesus' disciples, right? Maybe you'd have someone like Mother Teresa. But then if you went down a few more, again, this is my teenage self, I figured, well, maybe you had, you know, my pastor at church and, and the elders and the deacons and, and certainly my grandparents, right? They prayed faithfully. They read their Bible all the time. They never got into any trouble. And then here towards the bottom, well, that's where you had me and all the other people that, that didn't really have their lives together yet. Kind of like an amusement park where you got to be at least this tall to ride. It felt like you had to have your life at least this far together to be able to have communion. Sure, maybe you didn't have to be all the way at the top, but you better not be near the bottom either. It's like there was this hierarchy, and the farther up you climbed, the more privileges you had. And you know, this ladder, at least for me, it didn't just affect the Lord's Supper, because Wherever you were at on the ladder, whatever wrong things you did, whatever good things you, you forgot to do, that affected how people saw you, how they interacted with you, maybe even whether they would talk to you or spend time with you. It felt like as Christians, we were always measuring ourselves really against each other. And you know, friends, that's really what's going on in our passage this morning. Eric, earlier, he talked about needing to know the context behind a passage. And so let me tell you what's going on here. The Christians in Corinth, they are divided. They're divided, and they're divided because it's clear that there is a hierarchy in place. Just look at what Paul says in, in verse uh, 17. He says, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. That's harsh. Right? Not only are your meetings not doing good, but they're actually making things worse. And so why is Paul so upset? What's going on? Well, basically, the, the, the more important, the more influential, even the, the wealthier Christians, they were seen as being high up on the ladder, but then the, 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 the middle class and then the lower class, they were seen as farther down the ladder. And so people were standing on the ladder, if you will, and they were mistreating whoever was beneath them, at least according to society's standards. And a few things you need to know, when people would come together for church back then, they would meet in people's homes, and, and they would meet at least every week, but, but most scholars believe they would actually meet every single day in the evening for worship. And when they came together, they would have communion every single time. And when they had communion, it wasn't just a little juice and a little bit of bread. No, they would share a full meal together. But the way they were doing church, it, it didn't stand out. It looked like all the other special social dinner clubs in the city of Corinth that day. Because the wealthier and the more prestigious, those higher up on the ladder, they'd get to sit at the best seats in the house. Right? There was a separate dining room. It was called a triclinium. You don't need to remember that. But, but it had these couches all around it. And so they'd recline at a couch and people would bring their food to them. And then the people halfway down the ladder, well, well, they'd have to go find somewhere to sit in the rest of the house. And then the people near the bottom, it was standing room only for them. And as if that wasn't enough, the wealthier Christians and the more prestigious, those at the top of the ladder, they had the best food and wine and everyone else had regular quality food. 
And even worse, remember, in that city, nobody had Sundays off back then. So, so when they'd get together to work, or when they'd get together to worship, the wealthier and more prestigious Christians, they had careers that allowed them to have better hours. So they'd get there first. Then the, 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 the middle of the ladder would get there next. And then the slaves and the servants, they'd get there at the end after they had first fed their host family. And by the time they got there, oftentimes there wasn't even any food or wine left for them. All the elites, they first had stuffed themselves and even gotten drunk. I mean, it'd be like if we had a potluck at church, right? And, and some of us, we got to sit in a special conference room with these nice leather chairs and people brought steaks out to us. But then the rest of us, we, we met in the gathering place, which is a nice place, don't get me wrong, but we met here and we had to go get our own food and we had to, to eat crackers and water or, or maybe if we were lucky, uh, someone would make those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that we have every Wednesday, right? You see, the Christians in Corinth, they weren't treating each other differently than the world treated each other. They were treating each other based on where they fell on this ladder. And so because of this, Paul goes so far as to say in verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. In other words, you might be eating supper, but it ain't Jesus' supper. Why? Because they're still clinging to the old way of doing things, the way they knew before Jesus came into their lives. And let's face it, friends, maybe we're not at the point, any of us, where, where those Christians in Corinth were, but, but we all understand at least this pull, this temptation, right, to look at one another as believers and to measure ourselves against each other, to have our own internal hierarchies, right, and, and even to, to look down on people that we think are beneath us. Maybe we, we think we're better because of, you know, however their personality is, or, or maybe the way they're living right now, or, or maybe their, their family situation, or, or maybe something in their past that, that we know about that we think gives us the right to look down on them, as if apart from God's grace, or as if we didn't need God's grace just as much. Sometimes it can even make us treat these other Christians differently. Sometimes it can make us focus too much on, on what we want and not enough on what they maybe need from us. Because that's just our human tendency, right? It's not unique to Christians. Our default is always to focus on ourselves and not others. But you see, the danger, friends, is that if we're not careful, then like the Corinthians, we can eventually find ourselves coming together or, or interacting with, with our friends and neighbors, but not doing so the way God wants us to. So how do we avoid this? How do we make sure that every time we come together, every time we interact with others, we're always doing it God's way? We're always eating the meal the way Jesus intended it. Well, the answer is simple, but it's really tough to remember. We discern the body. We discern the body. In verse 29, Paul says, For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, that's the NIV translation, and in the English it says recognize, but a better translation is actually discern, because the word in Greek, it is diakrinon, 
diakronon, and that word carries extra weight behind it because it means also to distinguish, to carefully evaluate, or to make a judgment based on detailed information. You see, when you recognize something, we don't always do that on purpose, but when we discern something that is on purpose, you work hard to make sense of it, you work hard to see it clearly. There's intentionality behind what you're doing. And what that means for us, friends, is that always we have to be intentionally reminding ourselves that wherever we might put people, whatever we might be tempted to think about others, guess what? We are all, every single one of us, part of Jesus' body. And we see this so beautifully in communion. Because in communion, what happens? We all share a meal together. And that unites us so wonderfully because even though we are many different people, we are all one body because we've all been joined and are now part of Jesus' body. And so when we're all gathered around that same table, it reminds us that no matter who we may be tempted to look down on, guess what? We need Jesus just as much as that other person does. Which also means for as much as Jesus loves you and died for you, he loves that other person and died for that other person just as much. So that other person, they're part of your family and Jesus expects us to treat them that way. In fact, in verse 28, when Paul tells us to examine ourselves before we take communion, this is where the context is helpful because Paul, he's not telling us to check to see whether we're good enough or not. It's not some quiz that you got to pass before you can have the Lord's Supper. No, Paul, in this passage, when he says examining ourselves, what he's really asking is, how am I living when it comes to my brothers and sisters in Christ? How am I treating them? How am I seeing or discerning them? Maybe who do I need to forgive? Maybe who do I need to apologize to? Because you see, when Paul talks about discerning the body, and the Greek makes this more clear, the main focus in this passage, it's not about recognizing Jesus' body on the cross. It certainly includes that. But in this passage, the main focus is recognizing Jesus' body of believers in the people around us. It's recognizing the, the corporate body, the church that Jesus has given us, and then working hard to build each other up, to put each other's needs first, and to love each other. Because you see, when Jesus came, he didn't just come to reconcile us with God, as amazing as that is, but he also came to reconcile us with one another. And so friends, when we sit around his family table, the one that he laid out for us, the one that he gave his very life for, he wants us all to be there. He wants us all to be welcomed and to be seen as, as equally important. He wants us loving each other and, and living at peace with one another. Why? Because in his great love, he gave up his body to secure our eternal peace. And so we discern the body all the time. Whenever we come together, whenever we interact with others, we look around and we see Jesus' body right in our brothers and sisters. 
Romans 12, verse 5. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each belongs to all the others. And then even more, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We no longer regard them that way. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. What that means then, brothers and sisters, is that at the end of the day, none of this other stuff matters. None of this other stuff defines us. Because for each of us, our identity is in Christ alone. And I don't think you need me to tell you this, but that changes how we live. Because instead of measuring ourselves against all these other ladders around us, we spend our time instead making bridges. Let me tell you what this looks like. I I love watching these documentaries on people who try and climb Mount Everest, okay? Because every single time, without fail, they come to these, these deep crevices and, and these, these, these deep and wide chasms in the landscape, in the snow, that there is just no way to cross, right? And it seems like, like they're going to be done, that there's no way they're going to keep moving forward. Because remember, they're in the middle of the nowhere. They're on a mountain. They can't get heavy machinery out there to try and fix it. But do you know what they do? They take one of these, take a ladder, They lay it on its side. And then they lay it flat. And they use it as a bridge to walk across the chasm. I have a picture for that to show you. You can see it right there. You see, when they face something that seems impossible to cross, they don't turn and go their separate ways. No, what do they do? They bridge the gap. And you know what's an even better example of this, friends? The cross. Because on the cross, Jesus took, sorry, he took you and me, okay? And he took that giant chasm that we had dug, separating our sinful selves from God's perfect holiness, and he bridged the gap. He brought us right into God's family. And what that means, friends, is that if the cross of Christ could span such an impossible divide, then it can certainly overcome whatever differences we have with each other, with with the other Christians in our lives, and with Christians all over the world. And what that means is that when we find ourselves at odds with a brother or sister in Christ, whether it's over our opinions, our, our preferences, our life circumstances, how about this, even our political views, <laughs> anything. Friends, in those moments, we can't let our, ourselves get distracted by all the things that make us different. No, we have to discern the body. We have to focus on what unites us our shared identity as members of Jesus' body, and then let all our other interactions flow from that central truth. And so how do we do this? 
Well, I say we go back to the Lord's Supper. We go back to Jesus' table. Think about this, friends. Do you remember who was sitting with Jesus at that Last Supper? It was the disciples, right? The disciples. What does that mean? Jesus, he sat down with the people who doubted him, the people who abandoned him, and and even the person who betrayed him. And you know, friends, when we celebrate communion, by the Holy Spirit, we get to sit with Jesus at his table. We're united with him. Jesus saves a seat for each and every one of us. And even though each of us has doubted him, even though each of us has abandoned him, and at at times in our lives, even though each of us has even betrayed him, Jesus invites us over and over and over again to sit at his table, to be fed by him, and to receive his life-giving grace. And if Jesus is so happy to have even you and even me at his table, then who could we possibly refuse to have at ours? And so ask yourself, Who do I need to save a seat for at the table? Who do I need to start encouraging? Maybe who do I need to stop disparaging? Whose burden is Jesus calling me to go and help carry? Who do I need to go and be reconciled to? What grudge do I finally need to let go of? Who needs me? Who needs my undeserving love and forgiveness? Who needs me to be to them just a faint reflection of everything Jesus is to me? Who in Jesus' body is he calling me to discern right now? Friends, in a minute, I'm going to pray, and then afterwards we're going to celebrate communion. But before we do, I just want to circle back to one thing, okay? I just want to say that if you're here today, and if you're feeling the way that, that I used to feel, that is, that you love Jesus and you're trying to follow him, but, but you're looking and you're wondering how Jesus could possibly have a place for you at his table, let me share two verses with you. Romans 8.1, Eric said it earlier too. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans 9, 16. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort. What does it depend on? God's mercy. It's his mercy. And so if you don't feel worthy this morning, if you don't think Jesus could possibly have a place for you at his table, remember this, Jesus' sacrifice It's way bigger than all your sins. It's bigger than all of our sins. Which means that our sins don't exclude us from Jesus' table. Because guess what? If they did, that table would be empty except for Jesus. Now, remember this. Our sins don't exclude us from Jesus' table. They make us run to it. So that Jesus can once again nourish us with his love and grace and peace and forgiveness. So friend, come to the table, not because of how worthy you are, but because of how worthy Jesus is, 
because he's prepared it for you and he invites you again and again and again to take, eat, remember, and believe that through his redeeming work on that cross, you are now forever part of his precious body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we just praise you again for who you are. Lord, you are the God who, who doesn't let our sins and our failings keep us away from you. You're the God who chases us down and wraps your arms around us in so great a love. So Lord, help us to remember that because of Jesus, we are now part of your family. And Lord, in those difficult moments in our lives, help us to always see Jesus in every person, every believer that we meet. We pray all this in Jesus' name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.